Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, it's the first week of January, and that can mean only one thing. Well, it can actually mean a lot of things, but one thing it definitely does mean is that the Idaho legislature is ready to reconvene. The 2023 session of the legislature will gavel in on Monday, January 9th. And to get a sense of what to listen for, and there's a lot to listen for on education this year, to get a sense of what we should be looking out for and listening out for, I sat down with four lobbyists who spent a lot of time at the State House covering education topics. Matt Compton of the Idaho Education Association, Rod Grammer of Idaho Business for Education, Andy Grover of the Idaho Association of School Administrators, and Quinn Perry of the Idaho School Boards Association. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you all for taking the time here uh, Wednesday before the legislative session to kind of preview what to expect. I wanted to begin with all four of you with just sort of a general question of what is your top priority going into the session? Um, Quinn, I'm going to start with you and then maybe go to, to Matt and Andy and Rod. You know, I think with such a freshman legislature coming in and really kind of riding the coattails of House Bill 1, I think uh, this school boards association top priority is really going to ensure that the investment of that $330 million is really going to meet the unique and individual needs of every school district. So I think that's our biggest uh, priority as far as things we hope to have achieved and um, what we hope to work on with our partners here. Okay. Matt. Yeah, our, our uh, top priority really, uh, it has to rest in, in ensuring that we can hire more classified employees. If there's something that we hear uh, in classrooms uh, since the beginning of the school year is that there's just too few adults in the building and uh, teachers are experiencing uh, severe overload, there's burnout, um, and some of the behavioral interruptions are making it really difficult for teachers to teach and students to learn. And we know that when uh, there are more big people in the buildings than little people, uh, or the ratio is uh, is a little uh, closer, that the learning environment is much more conducive for students. And so that's going to be our number one priority. Andy. And, and I'm going to piggyback off what Matt had to say, and I think you're going to find a lot of overlapping amongst all our groups. But, you know, our, our number one issue is also classified. Uh, you know, we just don't have the people to do the jobs, nor do we fund them at the going rate, uh, you know, what it costs for, you know, to hire classified staff right now. And, you know, we have districts that are still 30 to 60 classified people short and, you know, we're halfway through the year. So uh, we that's, that's our number one issue. We've really got to fix classified and figure out how we can fund classified, you know, at an amount that we can hire people, you know, if you're McDonald's, you just raise the price of your commodity. We don't have that option. So we have to turn to legislature in order to, you know, up those amounts. And then we're also enrollment still a big issue for us as well as uh, discretionary funding and some of those areas where inflation's just, you know, really hitting us. Right. And I think right. you're on, <laughs> there you go. So, um, Kevin, our uh, biggest um, top issue is, as no surprise, the voucher issue, which we see as the most important decision about public education that our state will make since statehood, probably. And um, we consider that an existential threat to public education. 
Um, and I certainly understand all my colleagues here being focused on salaries and and those things, which we agree are very, very important. But if we lose this battle on vouchers, then public education will be negatively affected for, for you know, forevermore. You've all kind of touched on issues that I wanted to, to touch on further. But let's kind of begin with sort of the, the makeup of this legislature, the makeup of the committee's uh, leadership. Um, you know, key committee chairs are, are new. You have a new state superintendent. Yeah, we have a lot of new players. And I just wanted to get a sense from all of you. How are you trying to get a sense of this landscape? How are you trying to uh, get a sense of what to expect from this uh, new cadre of legislators and legislative leaders? Well, one of the benefits to social media is uh, folks have an opportunity to show their hand early before the session begins. And so getting to know some of these new incoming lawmakers uh, just through their social media footprint has been um, really helpful. Uh, I, I, I feel a little bit optimistic. There's uh, some good leadership in the chairmanships and at the superintendent level, uh, folks who I think are dedicated to ensuring that public education is stable, well-funded, um, and uh, is perhaps the first time uh, in, in my tenure with the Idaho Education Association where uh, both chairs and the superintendent uh, will likely all be rowing in the same direction um, with the same intention. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited for uh, the, the opportunity uh, for this coming session. Yeah, I think just jumping on that, I think there is a ton of opportunity there with a freshman legislature. I mean, you know, too often we focus on how how difficult it's going to be with a freshman legislature, but there is a lot of room for opportunity there. And trying to be an optimist, I think, you know, we all have a respective role that we fill in the policymaking process. And I know for legislators that represent constituents, that is certainly, of course, their role. And our role is to come in and help really engage them in, in each perspective that we all carry. Obviously, you know, Matt coming in with the teacher's perspective, mine with trustees, Rod with the business community, and Andy with school administrators. I think, I think there's just room for opportunity to really come together over the successes that public education has shown us to remind these policymakers that their public schools are really the epicenter in their communities and that their investment is worthwhile. And I'll just add, you know, I think for the first time in a long time, we have school folks in these positions, right? Senator Lent was a board member. Uh, Representative Yamamoto was a principal and a teacher and, and worked through the system, retired from the system. I mean, we have people that really understand how that how it works. And so, you know, that's exciting for me to have an opportunity now to have people that that have been in the schools, you know, and, and have spent time in and know the good things that are going on in the schools. So that, that's an exciting thing. And as far as all the new people, we hope leadership helps drive that direction. Yeah, Kevin, this is uh, Rod. I think that uh, like everyone else has said, we have two really great chairs of the committees. Um, probably the best I've seen since uh, I started uh, working for Idaho Business for Education. Uh, we've got a superintendent now that's uh, I think is gonna be much more in line with the governor and the State Board of Education. So there's a, there's a lot of great alignment here. And from everything I've seen of the new people, it's kind of a mixed bag. I think we've got several coming in that are pro-education, um, uh, some that are uh, 
not so pro-education. Um, ironically, the House Education Committee, I think, is going to be a very, very good committee after five or six years of dysfunction. Um, on the other hand, the Senate Education Committee is going to look a lot like the House Education Committee has looked the last uh, four years, from what I can tell. So it's kind of a mixed bag on the new people. And I don't want to get too wonky, uh, but there has been, and I think, Kevin, you've reported on this, and uh, the stakeholders have talked about this, how the chairs uh, and leadership, um, the superintendent are all uh, committed to ensuring that their committee members are as, as, as informed on the issues as possible. So having listening sessions and educational opportunities so that they really do understand the complex nature of school finance, um, and so that they're making decisions that are uh, that are good for students, not just knee-jerk or um, ideologically uh, driven. Which all kind of tracks because we've got so many new members on the education committee, so many new members on JFAC. So let's dive into how those two education committees might uh, approach the debate over whatever we want to call school choice, whether we want to use the terminology of education savings accounts or scholarships or vouchers. What are you expecting out of these two committees and the uh, the leadership of those two committees? I don't know who wants to take that one, so I'll just <laughs> Looks like you did. I mean, I think you're going to see two very, vastly different approaches. I mean, and it really depends. I think the rhetoric that you're going to hear is going to be dependent on who those folks are listening to. Uh, there's a group who's been very open about wanting to dismantle public education who on the last five days of the year, send emails out like calling for the ending of public schools. So I think there are some that are in the camp of let's destroy public education and reroute our money to the choice option, which is private parochial, online, whatever you want to call it. I think others will take a more model approach. They're going to look at other states like Arizona, like Wisconsin. They're going to look at those states that have implemented it. Um, it's really our job to poke holes through what we have seen in other states and the real downsides that those programs have brought to those states. I think Arizona tends to be the darling child of everyone. Um, I see school choice advocates uh, who want to privatize uh, public dollars really champion Arizona when I think Arizona's is a great example of how you know, it's really benefiting one specific set of students and most of the individuals receiving the universal voucher um, have never had prior enrollment in a public school. So I think you're gonna see really uh, multiple versions, multiple debates, and I think you're gonna see it on the full camp of a kind of take away from public education and some will try to redirect that. And it's our job to show that really these debates in general take away from public schools, period. Kevin, uh, I think the $400, $330 million that the legislature approved at special session is going to get mixed up in the uh, voucher battle uh, because that's uh, what's already starting to happen in other states. In Utah, uh, the governor wants to give teachers a $6,000 bonus, but advocates of vouchers, uh, which has been have been rejected in that state before by the voters, says that they're not going to play ball with the governor on the $6,000 bonus unless they get a voucher bill. In Wisconsin, uh, there's a $6 billion surplus, uh, budget surplus. The governor, Evers, wants to raise teacher salaries in Wisconsin, but the voucher advocate said uh, no deal unless you um, sign a universal voucher bill. 
Uh, this is playing out in state after state after state. And I think, as one journalist in Wisconsin put it, um, the privatization uh, crowd is in the legislature is basically holding the governor hostage uh, or maybe even using a little blackmail there. So I think I think you're going to see a little bit of which is going to be distressing, I think, to those of us who want to raise staff salaries, teacher salaries. But I think you're going to see the advocates say, hey, you're not going to get that money uh, unless you um, unless you pass a voucher bill. And it's ironic that maybe the the easiest thing to do, easier thing to do, was to pass the the special session law in September and put the money aside for education. The hard part now comes to figure out how it's going to get spent and under what conditions it gets spent. Yeah, I've even heard a rumor that they want to use that money to uh, basically offset the federal money uh, uh, that the state receives and uh, so that we're not receiving any federal money anymore. We're not beholden to the federal government anymore. Andy, it looked like you were going to jump in. Well, I was just going to kind of echo off of both Rod and Quinn. I mean, you know, obviously we've all kind of drawn the line in the sand when it comes to that. But, you know, I think one of the important things is when you talk about parent choice, it's crazy how much choice parents have in Idaho. I mean, I've tried to look at different states around us and they don't even come close to offering what we offer kids. I mean, we're at 115 traditional schools and 80 charter schools. And then you start looking at all the online, the for-profit, the choices are endless for parents right now. So, you know, the question really isn't, you know, is this about parent choice? This is all about funding. And, and I think that's really important when you want to talk about, you know, if we're talking about private schools, for the most part, funding the wealthy uh, and continuing to put money where, quite frankly, it's not needed, right? We need to put the money in those poverty places and help those students to be successful. So I, I think we have to kind of change the conversation as well as, Parent choice exists better than almost any state that I've been able to find. It's there. We have it. We're offering so many different things to our, our parents and our students. You know, this is really a question about where you want your funds and your tax dollars to go. Quinn? Yeah, and just jumping off what Andy said, I think how we do need to be better as advocates in talking about the vast opportunities of choice, because even within a traditional school district, there's open enrollment where you can move your child to a different uh, school within the district. So we, we realize as advocates that we need to really change the discussion about school choice because there is such vast opportunity here. But we also, you know, I think what the Heritage Foundation gave Idaho, was it a three ranking, third, fourth? Someone will have to mm -hmm. nod it's and It's pretty, me. pretty high ranking. Five. Yeah. I mean, we clearly have opportunity for choice in the state of Idaho, and Andy's exactly correct in saying that it's really about who puts the bill, right? So it's less about uh, do they have the choice, because Idaho has always been a state that has given, you know, Nobody's checking in to, to make sure that you're homeschooling or that you're sending your kid to a private school. If you've notified the school district that that's happening, then so be it. That is, has been available to parents for a very long time in the state of Idaho. Uh, the question is, is, should the taxpayers of rural Idaho be footing the bill for kids in Boise and in Kootenai County and in other populated places that have opportunity for private school be footing the bill for that tuition? But I think the other narrative that we all need to focus on is, okay, school choice is a hot debate over in that big white building, but 
nobody else in that crowd seems to be wanting to talk about the other kind of opportunities that we need in public schools. We know that we have a facilities issue. You've heard all of us talk about the need for a, a recruitment and retention of educators. Uh, we know that our classified staff is a serious issue and does all of these things directly impact student achievement. So what I want to start hearing from the choice crowd or the folks that want to talk about education savings accounts, et cetera, is then what? Like what else are we going to do to support the other needs of their constituents and their communities related to their public schools? So I think a lot of us will really have that accountability on both the education committees. If they're going to focus just on ESAs, like go for it. But the, meanwhile, the rest of us and our constituents, our members are talking about real issues impacting real people in their communities. Matt. So I, I headed a 2022 legislative session. The, the state had $1.4 billion in surplus. Going into this session, we have 7% more than that. Mm -hmm. It's a one5 percent billion dollar surplus. Uh, I think that, as, as Quinn was saying, we really need to have a very uh, serious and significant conversation about adequately funding schools and one system of government, the one that our Constitution mandates, before we start having a conversation about funding a second private uh, school uh, style or system of education. Um, uh, the, the, the playbook for the anti-public school advocates is not complex, it's not sophisticated, it is simply to uh, drive down the, uh, the the public's confidence in public schools, and they've done that through under-resourcing for decades, uh, so that they can demonstrate that schools are not meeting their obligations, uh, and that's what uh, sparks the discussion and debate uh, for greater choice. Um, but I think we need to flip that discussion, that argument on its head, and say we need to be adequately funding schools now, uh, and we have the financial resources to make those historical investments, to continue making those historical investments. And let's talk about that surplus and about the $330 million uh, that was appropriated in, in September. When you think about all of that money, is this a session where you believe that this legislature is going to take a take steps towards funding school facilities? And, and if so, how would you like to see that look? I'm looking to see. Quinn. I mean... Yes, I think the facilities discussion is, is going to still happen. I mean, we coming off the interim committee that I thought had actually very good presentations about the unique uh, ideas that come to them. I think what, what will be difficult is that because public schools are, are likely getting the $330 million dedicated for operations, which is, of course, the most directly related to the advancement of student achievement, I think it'll get a little bit crowded out. If I'm going to be honest, I think that's what I envision. I think that there will be some discussions about it, but I think it will be a little bit crowded out. And part of that is because there's no one size fits all solution. Uh, you know, many of the discussions that happen with the facilities committee, some would be great for some districts and wouldn't work at all for others. So we have to take, and I know I've said this a million times on this podcast, we have to take multiple approaches to solve the school facilities issue but it will take a large investment from the state because how much does building a high school cost today, Andy? Is it $100 million? I mean, because the cost of, of materials and land and labor are increasing, um, you know, even dedicating a large chunk of money is not going to be a silver bullet that fixes the issue statewide. If the, if the legislature really wants to address property tax relief, 
uh, as they have come you know, over the last five years and indicated that that was a high priority, then making those investments uh, in education both uh, to offset levy costs, but also those bond costs that it requires to build new facilities or to repair dilapidated facilities. Uh, that would produce real property tax relief for everyday Idahoans. Um, and also, it's it's a job creator. So if you're, if you're building more buildings, if you, if you are engaged in that sort of commerce, then um, you're actually creating jobs and uh, spurring the economy. Uh, and I'm sure probably Rod and, and his folks would like to see um, you know, some economic investments through uh, making it more affordable to, to build schools. And, and Rod, you've watched so, this yeah. debate for so many years and, and this kind of wall that legislators have put up between funding operations and funding facilities, does it change at all going forward this year? Well, it has to change, Kevin. I mean, uh, this is a huge, huge issue in our state. It's just to bring them up to fair or good quality, it's almost a billion dollars. And so you're not going to get there by changing the state endowment funding formula. You're going to get there by uh, putting some serious money behind this. And and um, I think we have a once-in-a-generation opportunity to do that. I mean, um, there are like 29 states in the country that have budget surpluses. I mentioned Wisconsin sitting on a $6 billion surplus. We have a, compared to that, we have a modest surplus of what, 1.6 billion or whatever. Now, almost what, 800 million of that's been spoken for by the legislature through tax cuts and education, the uh, money we just talked about, but we still have a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. And we can put that money to work uh, in some kind of state uh, granting program or revolving um, some kind of program that can alleviate the backlog of construction, renovation in schools, provide property tax relief currently and for the future, and really put that money to work for the people of Idaho. This is a huge opportunity for our state. Uh, getting the we can't we can't do this piecemeal and solve this problem. So, uh, you know, I, I I want to be optimistic that this legislature has the vision to do that. I, I don't know if it does, but I, I hope it has the vision to see this as a once in a generation opportunity to to address this problem. And, and, and parents, parents in the state really they they want to send their kids to safe and secure schools. Uh, and that, that, that means that we really do need to make investments uh, in improvements. Uh, and when it comes to rural communities, the school buildings are kind of the heart of the community. And so you really are making improvements to community itself when you're investing in, in facilities there. And Andy, you were a school administrator in rural Idaho in, in a prior life. I mean, do you have any hope that this legislature is going to look at this issue differently than the predecessors? Sorry. I think there's a couple parts to this and everybody said kind of the right things. But the first thing that I want to remind you is that we're so far behind in how we fund education, right? In all levels. I mean, we've been the bottom for, you know, how many years over the past decade, we've been the lowest. And so as these funds start to come in, you know, 300 million this year, 330 million or for last year, 330 million for this year, this is starting to move the needle to where districts aren't having to rely as much on the local taxpayers, right? And so we have districts this year for the first time that aren't gonna run supplemental levies. The system's working when you fund it. 
correct? And so, you know, as we as we start to go through this and we start to look at facilities, you know, while I'm optimistic that we can come to some kind of direction for facilities, it's going to take a lot. 60 plus percent of our districts can't even run a bond right now because they, they don't have the bonding capacity to build what a new building costs. You know, so even if you change the law and said, well, you can up your, you know, your bonding capacity, just the sheer dollar amount for these small communities would be impossible. And the example is, is that, you know, five years ago, I built a new elementary school in Melba. It was nine and a half million dollars. That same school to build today is between 21 and 24 24 million dollars. My bond capacity in Melba was 12. So, you know, we wouldn't even be able to build that building regardless of the need in those communities. Uh, and, And that's the same across the state. You know, the last two bids we've heard on high schools were, you know, 105 plus million dollars. I mean, that's a lot of money. And the problem is, is that trying to pass a bond at that amount, we saw what happened in Idle Falls with the $250 million bond. Well, those aren't numbers that they just came up with and said, geez, we want to spend $250 million. That's the actual need of that community, right? And and somehow we have to figure out how we're going to do that because the costs aren't going down, right? We're $400 to $450 a square foot uh, to build a school right now. And, and those aren't Taj Mahals, right? Those are classrooms that are empty and, you know, but they're safe and, and that's the cost of doing business. And we're gonna have to figure out how to uh, supplement these districts somehow with facilities. Kevin, you are hearing a theme here, in my opinion, uh, that these legislators really are standing on the uh, Rubicon, so to speak. And that is, are we going to remain faithful to the Idaho Constitution and fund our public schools adequately, both operating facilities and otherwise, or are we going to divert money away from public education? Uh, And this legislature, more than anyone I've ever seen, is going to be facing that, I think, um, uh, critical decision. And it's going to be interesting to see. I don't think you can cut the baby in half here because what's what you've seen in voucher states and ESA states is I just got off the phone with a with a person, a former chair of the Ohio Education Committee, House Education Committee, who said basically public funding for public schools in Ohio has been flat for years because money's been diverted to uh, privatization of schools. So this is really a decision point for these legislators more than any time I've ever seen. It seems like every time, Kevin, you get us together, we talk about money, money, money being the, uh, the, the solution here. Um, and I, I, I know that folks often ask, uh, at least like the Mountain States Policy Center tweeted something last week uh, about how much is enough. Um, while that's a cute question and it, it does beg the question, there is a way to actually determine how much money schools need and that would be through an adequacy study. So whenever anybody says when it, what is enough, the state sh- could just simply run a $300,000 adequacy study, find out what the actual dollar amount for funding public schools would be, um, and that would be you know our low water watermark that we can go towards. I think that policymakers are re- are reluctant to do that because they know that we will be found to be in violation of our constitutional obligation. Just really quickly, it has been a great conversation and we could continue this for another hour probably, but just really quickly, 
Is there one thing that we're not talking about enough right now that this legislature should spend some time paying attention to? Because it really could make a difference for kids or parents. I think something that you will hear, but it won't be probably talked about quite enough, is really the behavior issues that educators, administrators, et cetera, are seeing in the classroom. Um, and we can point to a million things to why that could be, but um, if we want students to achieve the best and we need to be paying attention to their mental health and the other social and emotional needs that they're experiencing. So I think the behavior issues is probably one thing that we should be talking about a lot more than we will this legislative session. My answer is the same as Quinn's, the behavioral issue. I was surprised to learn um, early in my career that when there's a behavioral issue in the classroom, they take all of the students out of the classroom. So learning stops for everybody except for the individual who is creating disruption. disruption. Um, and then when the kiddos come back into the classroom, it takes some time to get back on task. To react like, yeah. So it, the, the learning loss that's taking place there, We th this may be the single most important issue for, for students who really are the heart of the, the public school system. Right. So Kevin, one thing I, I never hear us talking about in the legislature is the achievement gap, or what I like to call the opportunity gap among uh, low-income students, Hispanic students, American Indian students, and others. Um, that's what we should be focused on, other than facility. I mean, we should be focused on salaries and facilities and mental health, especially like people say. But, you know, we have a uh, chronic problem in this country and in Idaho. In some respects, it's even less so in Idaho, but we still have it, this achievement gap. And, and you never hear legislators talking about that you never hear them talking about solutions to that they're they're always always off chasing something else and you know we really can't leave these kids behind uh, so i think it's the achievement gap andy last word to you yeah i again i would echo what everyone has said i think that those are all things that we're seeing that aren't being talked about uh you know and but on a positive note there's so many good things going on in our schools and, and they just don't get talked about, right? And it's amazing what these schools have been able to do for our youth and, and you know what they're able to give them. And I, I hope this year we have some opportunities to get in front of our legislators at the state house and talk, tell them just some of the amazing things that are going on and the work that goes on behind closed doors. You know, We get a bad rap a lot of times, but it's amazing to me whenever I'm traveling around the state and seeing all the amazing opportunities kids have within these schools, you know, and what, what teachers are doing with little to no funds in their classrooms and, and just giving opportunities to our kids. It's, it really is amazing. And so, you know, while there still are some big issues that we need to deal with, we also need to celebrate the amazing things going on. Well, as always, I appreciate you, you guys taking the time to, to talk through all of this and, and give me a sense of, give us all listeners a sense of what to what to keep an ear out for and an eye out for this session and we'll we'll catch up at the end of the session and see how it all turned out thank you all thanks, thanks kevin. Kevin. You. see you guys thanks kevin Again, that was Matt Compton of the Idaho Education Association, Rod Grammer of Idaho Business for Education, Andy Grover of the Idaho Association of School Administrators, and Quinn Perry of the Idaho School Boards Association. The 2023 legislative session gavels in on Monday, January 9th, and we will be there. 
We'll have full coverage of Governor Brad Little's State of the State Address. We'll break down his proposals for education and have full reaction to, uh, to his proposals. And we won't stop there. City Dittenberg and I will be at the legislature, start to finish, gavel to gavel. We'll cover the Senate and House Education Committees. We'll cover the Joint Finance Appropriation Committee as they take up education budgets. And really, anything that has to do with education policy or education politics, we'll have it covered for you. So check us out every day at idahoednews.org. And a lot more to catch up on at idahoednews.org this week. We profiled the two new chairs of the legislature's education committees. Sadie profiled Representative Julie Yamamoto, a Republican from Caldwell, who will be chairing the House Education Committee. I profiled Senator Dave Lent of Idaho Falls, the new chairman of the Senate Education Committee. So get to know both of those committee chairs. We have profiles at idahoednews.org. Sadie also launched a feature that's going to be kind of fun to follow these next 100 days, State Superintendent Debbie Critchfield took office on Monday. We'll be tracking what she does in our first 100 days. We'll have a daily blog catching up on Critchfield's activities. Check that blog out every day at idahoidnews.org. I also have a story looking at North Idaho College and the ongoing cost of administrative churn at NIC. We look at what the new interim president is going to be making and how that compares to the salary that's already being paid to the president who is now on leave. I have that latest uh, bit of news at idahoednews.org. Some news to catch up on from the previous week. Darren Savan takes a look at how Boise and West Ada schools uh, achieved some fairly high reading scores on the fall Idaho reading indicator. And Carly Flander takes a look at the latest numbers in terms of teacher salaries, average teacher salaries. Those stories broke last week over the Christmas break, so if you missed them, they are still available at idahoednews.org. Check us out at idahoednews.org every day for the latest in education news. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. We are still on Twitter. Uh, We tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on breaking items. Check us out at idahoednews.org. And check us out on Facebook. You can comment on our stories there and come back for another edition of the podcast. I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week. <laughs>